So let's turn there and we'll read those verses. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23 through verse 31. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they had attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we have read and are hearing this morning about faith, and so we pray, O Lord, that you would give us greater faith, that we might perceive your glory, that we might see the wonders of your being and your attributes, that by faith that we would clearly perceive the person and work of Christ, and that by faith and through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would give unto us a love and a desire to obey you, not just simply in our actions, but with every word, thought, and deed. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. We have all, I suspect, heard the statements, look before you leap. The idea, of course, is that we are not supposed to do foolish things, and the things in our life we should carefully consider, uh, take stock ahead of time to make sure that whatever it is that we see that's before us, the opportunity uh, or the, uh, you know, the, the business or the actions that we are going to have the finances, that we're going to have the safety, that we're going to do something that is, uh, that is moral and that is right. You know, what are the possible consequences and the decisions of the, of the danger, or sorry, the dangers of the decisions uh, that we make? It's like this past week I was counseling my son because he said that at school there was a fight that broke out. And that in, in this fight, he said, that, uh, you know, one kid actually kicked another kid in the face. And I said, son, you really need to think about these things. I mean, I'm glad you didn't get involved. You did the right thing. But I said, what a lot of the times young kids like this don't think about, and perhaps some of the time it's ourselves that don't think about it, is one split second decision can change the rest and entire course of your life because of one poorly thought out decision. You always need to think ahead. Jesus himself gives us this advice in in Luke chapter 
uh, in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses, uh, verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. You know, considering the costs of actions, whether financial, moral, or physical, this is definitely wise advice. To put it proverbially, you want to make sure that, you know, in whatever it is that you pursue, you don't begin to saw the very branch upon which you're sitting, because then it's going to end in disaster. But on the other hand, God calls us to exercise faith and to trust him when we really can't often see the things to which God has called us to do. We can't look before we leap. He calls us and he says, trust me. And we say, but Lord, I'm not so sure. And he says, trust me. He calls and he says, trust me. And we say, Lord, but this looks dangerous. And he says, trust me. He calls and he says, follow me, trust me. And we say, but Lord, this looks like it might cost me. And he says, trust me. This is the overall bent of what we read in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So in other words, we can't exactly look before we leap, but rather we have to trust the Lord. This is not to say that it is a blind faith to which God calls us. He gives us his word. He gives us the testimony of his spirit. But as I've said in weeks prior, oftentimes our eyes see things that perhaps strike fear into our hearts, and we're a bit nervous about trusting the Lord, uh, and especially when we cannot see. God was calling the recipients of this letter, the letter to the Hebrews, to trust him by faith, even in the face of of trials and persecutions. You know, I think human tendency, and naturally so, is to think that we should only go where we can see, where it looks safe. It's like I can remember when I was in Scotland, they would give warnings that if you're going to go hiking in, in in the highlands, especially in the winter, when the snowfall was fresh, you had to be profoundly careful. You had to have a very accurate map and you had to have really good land navigation skills because what would happen is if you were walking on the ridge of a mountain, you had to make sure you were on the ridge and not on the edge of a snowbank that would end up collapsing and taking you uh, down with it. We want to know, where are we going? Is it safe? Can we see? But what if, like Peter, upon the storm-tossed sea, Christ bids us to step out of the boat and to walk on the water? In a sense, I think that's the very terrain upon which the author and God ultimately was calling the recipients of this letter. He was saying, step out onto the water, step out of the boat, look to me by faith. Except in this case, it wasn't the storm-tossed sea upon which he was calling them to walk, but rather he was calling them out of the boat of safety to step out into the storm-tossed sea of persecution and trial. Verses 32 and 33 of chapter 10, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. And so to encourage them in their trials and to exhort them, hey, persevere, hang in there, the author has taken them into this great hall of faith to show them you're not alone. You're not the first to face these types of circumstances. 
In verses 1 through 7, he's explained the nature of faith, namely that it, me- it means trusting in, in things that you cannot see, such as the promises of God. And the author calls his recipients uh, and us to trust in Christ, even though we can't see, them, see him. And he gives the examples of Abel and Enoch and Noah, all had faith in the promise of the gospel. In verses 8 through 22, he points to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who believed in the gospel promises despite what their eyes could see. Abraham believed that God could give him an heir when his own body was essentially almost dead, according to the scriptures. The patriarchs lived in tents, even though God had said, I'm going to give you the land of promise, when they yet could not see at times or even possess that very land of promise. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, even though Isaac was the very fulfillment of God's promise. He thought, even though I cannot see it, I know that God will raise my son from the dead. And so the author says, and in a sense, he did receive him back from the dead. Well, in the passage before us, the author continues with these themes, but in verses 23 through 31, he focuses upon what I would call the courage of faith. In other words, the ability and the importance of believing, even in the face of danger, even in the face of suffering. In other words, having courage and not falling back in fear when God calls us into adverse circumstances. Now, as C.S. Lewis pointed out long ago, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. But rather, courage is proceeding forward with whatever the task might be in spite of the fear that we might have. It's not being fearless, but rather going forward despite the fear. And so in this case, we have to recognize that a God-given faith is one that calls us to courage. But that doesn't mean necessarily that we will have no fear, but rather it's that in spite of the fear that we might have, we will nevertheless still say, okay, Lord, I trust you. Give me greater faith. Take away my fears. Help me to go forward into the very terrain upon which you call me to tread. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider uh, courage before danger, courage in suffering, and then last but not least, courage in the face of the seemingly impossible. So let's give thought to courage before danger. In in this portion of chapter 11, it opens with a curious statement about the birth of Moses. We read in verse 23, "By by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, at first glance, it seems as if uh, Moses' parents were perhaps smitten by the beauty uh, of their newborn son. You know, who of us, after all, isn't smitten by our children when we first hold them after they're born? You know, last night, my daughter said, she asked me, what did you think, Dad, when you first held me? And I said, I immediately thought, this little girl is mine, and I love her. I said, I told her, I said, you know, so many people think that love at first sight doesn't exist. I said, but it does. Because the first time that I saw you, I knew that I loved you. 
Okay, that's not exactly what the author is talking about. He's not saying that, uh, that Moses' parents were so enthralled with the beauty of their child uh, that they said, we've got to protect him because he's so beautiful. In other words, it might strike us at first glance that is this a, a, a whiff of vanity that Moses' parents had? Not at all. When Stephen, in the book of Acts, was delivering his defense of the gospel before the high council and the high priest, he gives us another vantage point upon this very fact that the author picks up upon. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, it says, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. So not only did Moses' parents see the beauty of Moses and of his birth, but God himself said, I see the beauty in the birth of Moses. So this isn't just something that's restricted to Moses' parents, but God himself saw beauty in this. And so both Stephen and the author of Hebrews are reflecting upon and interpreting the events of Exodus chapter 2, verse 2. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. What does this all mean? Why does God see beauty in the birth of Moses? Why do Moses' parents see beauty in the birth of their child? I think in short we can say that the birth of Moses was a good thing. It was beautiful. This event was beautiful in the eyes of the Lord because he sees the fulfillment of his good and perfect will. And so thus it's a beautiful thing. And thus, when his parents see the birth of Moses, they know by God's prompting and revelation that God is going to do something special with their child. And so they detect the beauty, not so much in the appearance of their child, but rather they see beauty in the symmetry, in the harmony, and indeed we can say in the fulfillment of God's will. It's a beautiful thing when our will aligns with God's will. They often say that a lack of beauty is marked by an asymmetry, when things don't line up well. But when something lines up well, often the mark of beauty is symmetry. And in this particular case, It's Moses' parents being in such fine-tuned agreement with the will of God, with the plan of God, that they behold the birth of Moses as a beautiful thing. Now, what is it that their faith in God's covenant promises to redeem them from Egypt, to honor his promises, to deliver them from this furnace of a prison in Egypt... What did that give them the ability to do? Well, it gave them courage. It gave them courage because they were willing, the author says, to reject and disobey the king's edict, that is, of putting to death all of the male children. It even says that they were not afraid. God gave them a great faith in his covenant promises And ultimately, we would say in the promises of the gospel. 
And because of this great faith, what came along with it in this particular case is courage to say no to the most powerful leader in Egypt, to say no to Pharaoh, to say no to him. He gave them courage to defy the king's edict. So in this case, we can say that there is a type of courage that can accompany faith and should ideally accompany faith that purges out any and all fears, any and all fears. You know, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You know, I suspect at one point or another, we've either been the actors in the following illustration or perhaps maybe the recipients. But I can remember as a child uh, when I either had a nightmare uh, or, uh, I, you know, and I would be wakened by the nightmare uh, or perhaps it would, might be thunder and lightning uh, just dancing and, and, and making all sorts of noise outside of my, my, my bedroom window, and I would be fearful. And what was it that would calm me but going and crashing into my parents' bed and, and just being with them in the middle of the night? Their presence alone was enough to take away my fears. Maybe you've been one who was, as a child did that, or you would go uh, you know, to run to your parents' room, or maybe you've been an adult, a parent, where one of your children has come to you. But either way, just the very presence of my parents and being in their presence took away my fears, gave me courage. Such is the nature of faith, that when we place our God-given faith, the faith that comes to us by grace, In God our Father and his promises that he has fulfilled in Christ, he gives us a courage, a courage that even in many cases is absent of fear, that no matter what is going on around us, we can say, I know God is faithful. He will see me through to the end. He will not abandon me. He will not forsake me. He loves me. He cares for me. Such is the nature of sometimes of courage in the face of danger. Secondly, there's a courage that comes along with faith in suffering. In other words, when things get difficult, the Lord can give us courage and he gives that to us through faith. When Moses was born, he was adopted into Pharaoh's household, which means he was, he was raised in the lap of luxury. You know, he was raised a prince of Egypt, and yet God gave him faith in the promise of the gospel, which produced and gave him courage. We read in verses 24 and following, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, what the author is saying here is he's, he's trying to encourage his recipients. He's saying, look, you're not the first ones to suffer for the sake of the name of Christ. You're not the first. In fact, Moses knew of the promise of Christ. He saw it from afar and he rejoiced. But it was this faith that gave him enough courage in the face of suffering to say, I will choose the suffering rather than the pleasures of sin. I will choose Christ rather than 
the luxuries of Pharaoh's palace. It gave him courage to embrace the suffering. You see, Moses, I think, knew the the truth of Christ's preaching in Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, yes, I could live in the lap of luxury. I'm a sense an adopted son of Pharaoh. I can live in the palaces. I can have no earthly concerns. And yet the God-given faith that he received enabled him to see the promises of the gospel in Christ so much so that he said, no, I need to be with my people, even if that means suffering, even if that means casting aside the the, the luxury, the privileges, and the blessings of, of, of the wealth of Pharaoh. And even the protection, you can imagine that he probably wandered the streets uh, of Egypt uh, with impunity because, hey, I'm a part of Pharaoh's household. And yet, no, he would rather suffer with the people of God because of the faith that God gave him, gave him the courage to turn away from all of those worldly blessings, those those temporal uh, riches, and instead to look to the riches of the kingdom of God. He was not only willing to suffer with God's people, but God even gave him courage in the face of Pharaoh's wrath. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Again, he knew the truth that Christ preached in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, it may be a fearful thing to oppose Pharaoh, but it is even a greater fearful thing to reject or to oppose the living God. I put my faith in the living God and in his gospel promises, not in this earthly ruler. Moses could not see God. He could not see God. He could see Pharaoh. He could see the power that he wielded. He could see the soldiers that he was in command of. He could see his wealth and his riches. He could not see God. But he knew that Pharaoh's power paled in comparison to God's power and wrath. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. But I want you to see here that it was not just simply a fear of God's power and wrath that motivated Moses. Rather, it's a faith-sourced love a love for God, and a love for his people. You remember, this is an instance, I think, where we should go back to the Old Testament narrative when God first called Moses and recall that this is an instance where Moses first did have fear. He did have fear. You know, when God called him and he says, I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let Israel, my firstborn son, go. Moses said in Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm a shepherd. I've been out in the the wilderness for a number of years here. Who am I? And yet we know from the rest of that biblical narrative that God gave Moses courage that he was willing to go. And not only did he go, but eventually God stilled his fears And gave him the courage to stand before one of the mightiest men on the earth at that time. And to say, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. I mean, imagine. 
imagine there's a sense in which we can say that it's not merely just courage. We would define it as that. But the world, I think, around us would define it as audacity. Who on earth do you think you are, Moses, to stand before the mightiest man on the face of the earth and to say, thus says the Lord, let my people go? Are you insane? He would say, no, I have great faith in the God, creator of the heavens and the earth, the God of the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who has promised to defeat and crush the head of the serpent beneath the heel of the seed of the woman. That is what I have. It's not audacity. It's faith in the gospel promises. And so this brings us to our third and final point, which is courage and the impossible, or maybe we can say the seemingly impossible, because sometimes it may seem as if God has called us to do the impossible. You know, I suspect that the recipients of this letter believed that the author was calling them to an impossible task. You know, you you want us to embrace the path of suffering? You realize that we might die. That that seems like an impossible thing. And yet, notice in verse 29 that he, he calls them and reminds them of what was seemingly impossible. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. In other words, this was no natural phenomenon. It's not that the Israelites got lucky and happened to cross when the the, the Egyptians just missed their opportunity. The distinguishing factor between the two crossings, one successful and one failure, is that the Israelites had faith. But yet, if again, if you go back to that narrative, it's, it's, it's a little bit grittier than what the author of Hebrews reports to us. In Exodus 14.10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They were afraid. It's like as if you, you you run up against the wall, and you're like, now where do we go? They were fearful, and it says there in Exodus 14.10, they cried out to the Lord. And, and what is, this is, I think, one of my favorite responses of God in all of the Bible. Here the people are stricken with fear. And they're crying out. In other words, they're praying. To me, it, it, it seems like a reasonable thing. I'm scared. I think I'm going to die. I'm going to pray. Oh, Lord, deliver me. What is the Lord's response? The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, go forward. (laughs) I mean, think of it, and if I could put this in colloquial terms, why are you praying? Get your feet wet. Get in. And I can almost imagine the people saying, but it's a body of water. How are we supposed to cross this? And again, he's like, get in. Don't pray. This is not a time for prayer. This is a time for action, for courage. But it's a a faith that I am giving unto you to know that I will see you through. 
And so even though the people feared, God gave them the courage to do the seemingly impossible. They crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, no less. But not so with the Egyptians. They conquered Jericho as no other army has done uh, or will ever do since. By marching around uh, its walls seven times, they did the impossible. But we have to remember, it wasn't they that did it, but it was God who did it for them. This chapter is about faith, faith in the promises of God's gospel. Our God-given faith is trusting that what God will do for us, not what we can do for ourselves, It's God who parted the Red Sea, enabled the Israelites to pass on dry land. It was God who destroyed the walls of Jericho. And so what the author is saying is he's saying, have courage, have faith. God may seemingly call you to the impossible, but guess what? It's not so that you can deliver yourself, but it's by faith that you will trust that he will deliver you. He will do the impossible or the seemingly impossible. What is impossible with man is possible with God, is what the author is saying. And this is something that only comes to us by faith. Our courage is not the source of our victory. God's promises in Christ is the source of our victory. It's simply that the courage in the face of these, uh, of these seemingly impossible things is the fruit of faith. It's the evidence that God is at work. And so this is why I think that the author is pressing the point and reminding his recipients, in a sense, of the shortcomings of the people to whom he's pointing to show us that it's not their their doings. It was the Lord's doings. God just simply gave them faith to trust in him. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute. Those words should stop us dead in our tracks. Rahab the prostitute. Whatever is coming after in the rest of this sentence would make you think, if you didn't know anything about the story, where there's not much going to good come out of this one. It's like, you know, Joe the bank robber. You know? Uh, You know, uh, Sheila the politician. You know, it's like whatever, you know, those types of sentences, you don't expect much good to come out in the words that follow. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. In other words, it wasn't her. It was faith in the promises of God. Did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She had courage. And it was a courage that came from her God-given faith. The author reminds us that in our victories, even in the face of the seemingly impossible, they are victories not because of our faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. He tags a motley, ragtag group of sinners like us. He gives us faith and he calls us to have courage. And we can have this courage because even in the face of the seemingly impossible, of what Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 when he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, beloved in Christ, pray that the Lord would give us all faith, faith in the gospel promises of God, But that along with that faith, he would give us courage. Courage in the face of danger. Courage in the face of suffering. And courage 
in the face of the seemingly impossible. And if you say, I believe, but I still struggle, then cry out with the man whose son was demon-possessed, O Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I know you're good. Take away my fears. God is faithful. He will hear your cry. Pray that God would fill your heart with courage. Pray that our hearts would not melt beneath the blistering heat of, of trial, but that sheltered beneath the mighty wings of Christ, that he would fill us with strength not merely to persevere, but to overcome. As Paul says, we are not perseverers. Rather, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us in Christ. By God's gift of faith in Christ, we too will cross through our own Red Seas. We too will walk upon the water of our trials, not because of ourselves, but because of the God-given faith that he has given us in Christ through the Spirit to look to our Lord and Savior to bring us through. As John says in 1 John 4, 4, we can have faith in Christ because of his mercy And we can have courage in the face of these challenges because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, so often the smallest of things in our lives can fill us with fear. We can tremble before the mighty. And the disruptions in our lives can strike terror in our hearts and we begin to waver and we fear that you have called us to the impossible. Father, help us to remember that you bring us to the end of ourselves. Rahab could not stave off an invasion. The Israelites could not part the Red Sea. Moses' parents could not overthrow Pharaoh. But what you did give them the ability to do by grace that comes only through Christ in your spirit is the gift of faith to trust in you. So that Moses' parents, O Lord, were unafraid of, of Pharaoh. Rahab trusted in you even though there was a menacing army surrounding the walls of Jericho. And the Israelites stepped into the Red Sea, knowing that you are mighty to save. Oh, Father, we pray that when you bid us to step out of the boat of the safety and the comforts of our lives, that you would give unto us faith and courage, even if we have fears, that as we begin to walk upon the waters of those trials, that you would take away our fears and that you would give us the peace that surpasses all understanding so that, O Lord, all hell may be breaking loose around us. But in spite of the chaos, we would be at rest. We would be at peace because we would be looking to Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Grant to us this gift of faith and the courage to trust in you. No matter what we see with our eyes, we pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.